How many people excited to be in the house of God today? Y'all are, the turn up is real. I like y'all. Y'all are good. I think y'all had breakfast before y'all came. Y'all are, y'all ready to go. So excited about this message. Uh, I want to dive straight into it. I have a lot of scripture to read. I'm going to read 18 verses. You're going to deal with that. And um, then I'm just going to dive straight into this word. Um, One of my favorite people in the Bible is Elijah. When I first gave my life to Jesus 27 and a half years ago, uh, I preached my first sermon a month after I got saved. And within the first five years uh, that I preached, outside of Jesus, Elijah is what I preached about the most. Almost ad nauseum. Anytime I got ready to preach, Juliet would literally say, you're going to preach about Elijah again, aren't you? And I was like, yeah. Um, Fascinating guy. But how many of you all know that no matter how long you've been reading the Bible, every time you go back to it, God's ready to say something new to you. The sermon I'm about to preach to you right now, I've never preached it in my entire life. I've never even seen it from this perspective until I was studying and asking the Lord what he wanted to share today. So um, I just want you to keep that in mind that uh, the Bible is the only book that's alive and actually breathing. The more you open it, the more it opens you. The more you read it, the more it reads you. So um, I'm super excited about it. So 1 Kings chapter 19, I'm going to read 18 verses. Where I'm starting um, begs for context. I'll give you the context after I read it. Uh, context from uh, chapter 17 and 18. But I'm reading 19 because that's where all of my points are going to be. So starting from verse one, here's what it says. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just like you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. And the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken down the covenant with you, torn down the altars and killed every one of your prophets. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me, too. Go and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose 
but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the gate. And the voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken down the covenant with you and tore down your altars and killed everyone by your promise. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Then the Lord told him, go back the way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Haziel to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be the king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, the son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Maholah to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Haziel will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. It's good stuff. If you're taking notes on this message, four words, please write them down. When fear creeps in. That's what I want to talk to you about today. When fear creeps in. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray, shall we? Holy Spirit, help us to not be afraid. Amen. I pray very quick. As I aforementioned, uh, Elijah is uh, one of my favorite people in the entire Bible. Uh, the narrative of Elijah has always been compelling to me. I've always been drawn to it. Uh, I am a storyteller by default, and so I naturally gravitate to the stories of the Bible. And uh, what intrigues me about Elijah is that we don't have backstory on Elijah. Elijah literally pops up on the page in 1 Kings chapter number 17, fully grown and ready to handle business. All we know is that he's a Tishbite and he pops on the scene, opens his mouth and starts prophesying and declaring and executing judgment on Israel that was in a very sinful state at the time as a nation. The first thing out of his mouth, after the description that the writer gives that this is Elisha the Tishbite, is he says, it's not gonna rain again until I say so. Loose paraphrase, but pretty much that's what he said. He looks at the state of Israel and the sinful state that it's in, and he literally just opens his mouth no introduction, no hi, everybody. Literally, it ain't going to rain again till I say so. And he didn't preface it by saying, thus said the Lord. He literally just said, it ain't going to rain. And do you know what happened? It didn't rain. Ladies and gentlemen, do you know how gangster this episode is? <laughs> Can you imagine having such a close relationship with God that when you speak, God co-signs what you said before you even check in with him. You didn't say, uh-huh, got it. Thus said the Lord. You literally go, mm-mm, y'all wrong. It ain't going to rain again till I say so. And the Lord's like, what? What did, what did he say? Oh, he don't want it to rain? Okay, it ain't raining. I want that type of relationship with God. 
that's so close that he's like, whatever's breaking your heart's breaking mine. Not just the other way around. Elijah says it ain't going to rain and it ain't going to rain. He's miraculously fed by ravens twice a day, bringing him bread during a famine. I've been to a park. And I have watched people feed birds. But I have never been to a park. Where I see birds feeding people. This is a miraculous thing that's happening for Elijah. And he's there as long as God tells him to be there. And then the brook dries up. And when the brook dries up, because Elijah has excellent hearing. He hears his next instruction from God. God tells him simply, I want you to go to Zarephath. Yes, the hometown of Jezebel. I want you to go to Zarephath. There I have commanded a widow to take care of you. So Elijah goes down to Zarephath where he finds a woman gathering sticks. She's going to make her last meal for her and her son, and then they're going to die. There are no more grocery runs to be made. This is a famine that is devastating the land. Elijah rose up and asked the woman, can you get me some water? She's like, okay, yes. And then he says, also, get me something to eat. And she loses it. You can go back and read it. She's like, hey, fam, I'm about to die. I'm under a lot of stress. I've already lost my husband. I'm about to make one more meal and then we're going to die. And he was like, make me something first. Do you know how bold you have to be to be talking to a stranger during a famine and asking them to make you something to eat when they just told you they only have a little bit left? But when you're hearing correctly, you speak with authority. So he told her to make hers to, to make his first. And she does. And her flour never runs out. The oil never runs out. And over the course of her being there, her son gets sick and died. He resurrects the son through the power of God. He's on a winning streak, y'all. And that's all before chapter 17 ends. Chapter 18 he rolls up into Israel and challenges 100, uh, 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah. He says, hey, all of y'all, meet me on Mount Carmel. Let's have a competition. You call on your God, I'll call on my God, and the God that answers by fire will be the true God. Here's the deal. Whoever wins lives. <laughs> These fools took him up on that bet. So Elijah versus 850 prophets go up a mountain. He says, you take a bull, I'm going to take a bull. You make an altar, I make an altar. You cut up the bull, put it on the altar, step back and ask your God, Baal, since y'all love him so much, ask your God to bring down fire. And as a matter of fact, 
It's a lot of y'all. So y'all can go first. That's just how polite he is. Y'all get to go first. So they cut up the bull, they put it on the altar, and they step back and they start calling on Bell. Bell! Oh, Bell! 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 Fire! We need fire from you! Bell! 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 They started in the morning. Early in the morning, they started calling on this false god who has no ears. They screamed to the top of their lungs until the afternoon. When it got to the afternoon, Elijah's posted up taunting them. <laughs> Keep calling him. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's running an errand. Perhaps he's on the toilet. It's literally what it says in the text. Call him louder. So from the afternoon to the evening, they literally ratchet up. They start cutting on themselves, trying to get their God's attention. They are shedding blood for a God, not knowing that the true God would send his son to shed blood for them. So here they are, raving mad. Boo! 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 Until the evening with no response. The evening comes, Elijah says, are you done? You guys, you guys good? Because I don't think he, he's probably off today. I'm, I'm sure he would have answered, but probably has some other people that he had to hang out with. Is it my turn? Sweet, please move back. Cuts up the bull, puts it on the altar, takes 12 stones, puts it around the altar, one signifying each tribe of Israel. Then, remember this is a fire test, right? He digs a trench around the entire altar and then he tells some of the servants, go get me some water. Do you know how confident you have to be right now? in a fire test to ask for some water. What do you want us to do with the water, sir? Uh, pour it all over the altar and the meat that's on the altar. That's how much I trust my God. I don't want y'all to think that I have, you know, some sparks that I'm gonna help make this. So pour water on it. They came and poured gallons of water on top of the sacrifice. Then he said, do it again. Then he said, do it again, felt good to him. Then he steps back. Oh God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, will you prove to these people who the real God is? Because I already know it's you, but they don't know it's you. God was up in heaven like, say less, fam. I got you. That's the way he says it in my head. Fire comes out of heaven. Spirals down, burns up the meat on the altar, burns up the altar, and then scripture says it licks up the water in the trench. K 
Can you imagine being those prophets? Like, I can just imagine one of those prophets being like when the fire's happening, him going like, I was always on your side. What had happened was you just didn't know that I was with you. They kind of told me I had to do it or they killed me. The whole thing burns up. They're all like, you're right. The God of Israel is the true God. He was like, absolutely, line them up. And they have to line up to get killed. Imagine being in that line. Oh. Just, just hurry up. Okay, okay, you got it. He's in the winning column. Miracle after miracle after miracle because he's hearing God. Ahab runs home and tells his wife what Elijah has done. And here's what Jezebel has the nerve to say. This is how you know this woman's delusional. Tell Elijah that I swear by my God. I'm sorry, Jezebel, the God that just took an L, your God that didn't even listen to all of your prophets? You're still swearing by this God? Tell him that he'll be dead by this time tomorrow in the same way he killed my servants. And scripture says Elijah got scared. Now, this is not an indictment, ladies and gentlemen. Fear can come to us all. It's what we do with that fear that matters. Elijah is not having an inhuman moment. He's having a human moment. He gets afraid from a threat. That's not the problem. It's what the threat makes him do. That's the issue. Fear can come to you but we can't let it creep in. So the five points that I want to give you, I want to give you through the lens of what happens when fear creeps into Elijah's heart, his mind. Point number one, please write this down. Elijah thought he knew his limit. When fear creeps in, it will make you think that you know your limitations. Verse number four, then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. He thought he knew his own limitations. I've had enough. I can't take it anymore. I tap out. This is too much for me. By a show of hands, I know, this is, I know this to be an honest church. How many people have been so scared you've said, I've had enough. I can't deal with any more. Have you noticed on the days that you're like, I can't take it no more, Lord. You go to bed and wake up. And you're like, I said, I can't take it. And the long day you thought you were not going to get through, you blink and it's four months later and you were like, why was I even tripping? The same God that brought me through back then 
is the same God that can bring me through now, who is the same God that will bring me through in the future. Why did I allow myself to get paralyzed with fear? Fear will make you think that you know your limitations when God knows how much you can really take. Scripture says that he will never put more on you than you can bear. So even on your most difficult day, understand that God knows how heavy it is and knows you can handle it. Anybody ever been to a gym with a personal trainer? Don't you hate personal trainers? <laughs> Aren't they always tricking you into two more reps? You're like, you got it, last set, eight, nine, 10. You're not done, give me 11. You're like, I pay you to lie to me? You got this, 11, oh, 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 look at 12. You're like, no! There's more in you than you even know. But when you're afraid, you will show up less than who you are. Point number two, please write this down. Elijah thought he knew what the provision was for. This is such, such an important point. Then the angel of the Lord, verse number seven, then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. The, the, but the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah literally thought that the provision that he had received from this angel was meant for him to go on a journey that God never commissioned. And we know he never commissioned it by the question he asked when he arrives at Mount Sinai. What are you even doing here? This is not even your assignment. If you would stop fearing and begin hearing, you would know that the next thing that I want you to do is not travel days and days more into the wilderness up a mountain to come talk to me where I really wanted you to be is anointing your successor and anointing the next two kings of Israel and Judah. Oh. Can you imagine Elijah hears this threat from Jezebel and he runs 80 miles in the opposite direction, drops off his servant and then goes into the wilderness. God is kind enough to feed him while he's there. And he takes it as, oh, let me go to a place that I know God speaks. It's Mount Sinai. Now, here's what's interesting. From where Elijah is at the time that he receives his provision to where Mount Sinai is, is between a, a, a 10 to 12 day trip. It takes Elijah 40 days and 40 nights to get there. Because have you ever noticed that when you're afraid, everything about you slows down and becomes timid? And, and, and you're, you're, you're not sure of anything you're doing. And you're just kind of like, Hey, y'all, just pray for me, you know what I'm saying? Uh, 
going through a lot. Yeah. I'm all alone right now and the Lord's doing stuff and he's not speaking and I mean, I'm having my quiet time, but he's not saying nothing and me and my spouse are tripping. Well, she's tripping. <laughs> I, I clearly won that argument and she's just like not getting it and then my kids are dumb. <laughs> so just be praying for me because I don't know. And you're on this whiny journey. Violins playing in the background. <laughs> because you don't know what to do with the provision he gave you. He gave you life today, not to be scared of today or tomorrow. But when we are afraid, we take the provision and we use it a different way. Which brings me to point number three. Please write this down. Elijah thinks he's the only one. God asked Elijah a very specific question. What are you doing here? Here's Elijah's response in verse number 10. I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left and now they are trying to kill me too. God hears what Elijah says and completely ignores it. Then he sends earth, wind and fire. All right, all right, there's some people my age at this service. The prior two services have been so young that they're like, I'm so happy I have a demographic in here that knows that this is one of the greatest bands that has ever lived. Oh. God sends earth, wind, and fire, but he's not in the earth, wind, and fire. These miraculous things that he did was just to show Elijah, don't you remember all the stuff that I gave you permission to do? And after he gives all the earth, wind and fire, he comes out with a still small voice and says to Elijah again, what are you doing here? And do you want to know Elijah's response? It's identical without even a one word variation to the same thing he told the Lord in verse 10. Verse 14, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left and now they are trying to kill me. <laughs> because you know what happens when fear creeps in? you start to repeat the fear narrative. The enemy's a master at whispering lies in our ears until we start repeating them. Then he steps back and goes, I'm not even telling you that anymore, that's you. That's your lie now, I mean, it's actually your truth. You believe that. It's just a generational curse and I can't even get out of it because it's a generational curse and, and all of heaven is going, what? We break curses. Why are you still rehearsing a narrative 
that's your curse. As if the blood of Jesus is not efficacious enough to break every chain that you could ever have pop up in your life. You're not bound, you're free. So stop repeating the enemy's narrative. Imagine a loving God loving you so much that he won't even have the conversation you want to have. He's in the presence of God. He finally gets to tell God how he feels. They try to kill me, man. <laughs> they try to kill me. That lady says she's going to send a bunch of people after me. <laughs> this dude killed 450 dudes by himself. And he worried about this threat. This is what happens when fear creeps in. You forget what you've already done. They're going to kill me. <laughs> God's like, I don't even want to talk to you about this right now. I'm going to have a different conversation with you. Which brings me to point number four. And this had to be so humbling. Point number four, Elijah has to turn around. <laughs> Then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. And that's where he tells them to anoint all the people. Can I, can I? Do you know how embarrassing this has to be? Fear makes you run 80 miles in the opposite direction. Then probably at least another 40, 50 miles because a, a journey that's only supposed to take 10 to 12 days takes 40 days for you. So you've traveled about 120 miles into what you think is the presence of the Lord. And here's his response to you. I need you to go back the way you came. I can't tell you how many times in my own prayer. What I think is prayer time, but it's low key complaint time. Anybody besides me? Yeah, I did a lot of praying last night. That's cap. I was complaining for 45 minutes. I didn't even let him get a word in edgewise. And I was like, why are they still alive, Lord? How? How are they even still here? Deal with them harshly, Jesus. <laughs> and he's like, so go back the other way because I want you to do something else. They're going to kill me, Lord. I'm about to fire me from the job and they were lying on me. I was supposed to have that promotion. They gave it to Shana. I trained her and then she gets a promotion. You get done complaining. The Lord's like, so when you get to work tomorrow, I want you to buy Sheila lunch. I'm sorry, Lord. I don't know. If you were listening. <laughs> so I'm going to say it again slower. <laughs> they gave up promotion to Shana! And I trained her! And I, it is not fair! And he's like, when you get to work tomorrow, buy Sheila's lunch. Have you ever noticed God's not interested in talking about 
the conversation you want to have with him when there's a pending assignment that you haven't completed. I cannot tell you how many times I've gone to the Lord like, I don't want to do this no more. And he's like, so tomorrow when you get to work, are you even listening to me? Yes and no. I love when we're having a conversation. I don't like it when you're just complaining. But I'll listen. But don't be mad that I want to talk about something else because I see the end from the beginning. You ain't going to be talking about this three days from now. But I'm going to let you have your tantrum. Just like you let your kids have theirs. Because I'm God. And I'm clearly not petty. Which brings me to point number five. Please write this down. Elijah is not alone. Verse number 18. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. Here's what Elijah did not understand. He was never alone. And one of the biggest things the enemy tries to creep into our lives with fear is this lie that no one else is going through what I'm going through. I'm the only one going through this struggle. I'm the only one dealing with this sin. I'm the only one dealing with this problem. And if I even mention it, they're not going to understand. I'm the only one going through this. And God had to remind them, you're not ever going to be the only one that is on my side. You're never going to be the only one struggling with an issue. First Corinthians 10, 13 says there is no temptation that is taking you, but such as is common to man. It doesn't say uncommon. It says common. Why? As it relates to humanity, I can close my eyes and know that if I mention any struggle, somebody in this room is dealing with it. What the enemy wants you to believe in fear is that if you share it, somebody's going to go, oh, I'm, so, I'm so sorry. I've been saved 52 years, but I've never heard of this high-end couture brand of sin. I never knew someone can struggle with that. Could you imagine going to the doctor for anything? And the doctor like, and what are you dealing with today? And you're like, that, and you're, he's like, oh God. Uh. <laughs> <sighs> give me a, just give me a second. <sighs> <sighs> hey, Sheila, cancel my appointments for the rest of the day. <laughs> I um, have never seen that before, that's, that's new. He is well acquainted with us. He was tempted in all points yet without sin. Why? So he could identify with us. You ain't the only one. You're not the only one that's ever been afraid. You're not the only one going through a struggle. You're not the only one that's dealing with some habitual sin that is just so hard to break. You got all these other things checked off, but this one sends you running. At the threat of it, you take off. Here's what God wants you to know. You don't have to run from that anymore. I had to resist the urge for every single one of these points to give an anecdotal 
uh, scripture to be like, for that one, that one, for this one, this one. And the Lord just said, no, I just want them to know one verse. And it's a verse that probably most of you have heard or know. When I started, you could finish it. But I want to be careful to say that when we have an issue that we're struggling with, that we always respect scripture enough not to treat it like it's familiar. Yeah, I already know that one. Yeah, I've heard that before. I need something else. You actually don't. Scripture is effective the way it is. And if you always approach it with respect, it will always have its effect in your life. Second Timothy, verse number one. uh, I'm sorry. Second Timothy, chapter one, verse seven, simply says this. For God has not given us. The spirit of fear. But of power. Love. And a sound mind. NLT says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love and self-discipline. I cannot tell you how many times over the last 27 years that God has asked me to do something. And it scared the life out of me. I can only count on maybe this one hand and maybe one finger on my other the times where God told me to do something and I was like, yeah, let's go. The majority of the times the Lord says, hey, Tim, here's your assignment. And I'm like, no, no, thank you. I'm good. However, I have three candidates that I know are on fire for you. And they've been waiting for an assignment. Let me give you their numbers. And when I get done, the Lord's like, I need you to do this. And my response is, yeah, no, I'm good. I thought we already talked about this. But since God has way more time than I do, he waits. Because when you can't do what he asks you to do, brave, you know how you do it? Scared. If you can't do what God's telling you to do, brave, do it scared. Faith is not the absence of fear. Faith is ignoring fear and doing it anyway. Do you think the apostles in the book of Acts wanted to get beat up for the gospel of Jesus Christ? No. So what did they ask the Holy Spirit for? Boldness so we can go out and do it again. Yes, we're scared. Yes, we'd like to preserve our lives, but for the sake of the gospel, give us enough boldness to ignore the fear and accomplish what you've called us to do. And we all have an opportunity to do that if we would simply acknowledge the fear, but not invite it in. So don't let fear creep in. And when it does, be reminded and recite 2 Timothy 1.7 and watch fear creep out. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Thank you. God, I thank you so much for my brothers and sisters, your sons and daughters. I'm grateful for the reminder that you give us through your word that you want us 
to walk with peace, a sound mind, power, self-control, self-discipline. God, for anyone struggling with paralyzing fear, for anyone that's been intimidated by a threat, that's received a bad report, that doesn't know what's going to happen with their business, that's concerned about a shaky economy, that doesn't know if in this season of their life their house will sell for what they need to go into the next season. God, I pray that no matter what the scenario is, that they would be reminded today that the same God that did miracles for us in the past is ready to do these miracles for us in the present. We have nothing to be afraid of for you are with us and you promised that you would never leave us or forsake us. Thank you, God, that we get fear out of here. In Jesus' name.